And happy Easter. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor. I'm so glad that you've chosen to celebrate here with us at the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. Uh, It's great to be together. This is truly, this is our day. I'm glad you're here. Well, it was at lunch together uh, when she said to me, Nathan, we want you to know we forgive you. Okay. Instantly with with those words, right, my my heart sank. The adrenaline started raging a little bit. I tried to play it cool, right? I took another bite of my lunch, but already the food, it felt like sand in my mouth. Nathan, we want you to know that we forgive you. Now, I knew that I wasn't completely innocent. I just didn't have any idea how guilty I was. And besides, the, the incident that I was being forgiven for had, had happened eight years before this. So it just, it just felt so strange. But let me, let me back up a little bit. Um, I, I grew up a pastor's kid and, uh, in, in rural Illinois, and my family moved to Kansas City when I was 14 years old. Uh, when I was 16, I went back to Illinois uh, to visit some friends, right, to spend time there and, and catch up, whatever. Um, and... and Kids, let me just say, not a good idea, but I, I thought it'd be really fun to teepee the house I grew up in. And, and it, was, it was the parsonage, okay? That means that the, uh, my dad lived there because we were the pastor, and now the, the pastor who replaced him lived there in that, that same house. So it was going to be kind of like teepeeing your own house, but so much better because it's no cleanup, right? I mean, it's, that's their problem. So it, it, it seemed like a really good idea at the time. At the time. Um, eight years later, I, I'd struck up a little bit of a, a friendship with this pastor, um, the one who'd replaced my dad, the one whose house I deepened. And, and so much so that he actually invited me back uh, to my hometown, my home church, uh, to preach in that church. It's one of my very first sermons ever. And so it was at lunch that afternoon after church with the pastor and his wife, Kelly was there too, um, when the wife says to me, Nathan, we forgive you. Okay, well, I mean, it feels like you should be water under the bridge by now, right? Um, I mean, sure, I, I, re- I regretted it uh, with, without a doubt, and um, I mean, he had to have forgiven me, right? Because... Here, here I am at, at the, the church preaching, and the, she, she says these, these words. And I can, I can actually taste the fear, right, as I, as I choke down an, another bite. I mean, it's just a little mild vandalism. Nathan, we want you to know. <laughs> Come on, like you've never TP'd a house. <laughs> Nathan, we want you to know that we forgive you. Feels like she's making a big deal out of it, right? But still, the, the, the fear... Nathan, did anybody ever tell you the story of that night? Story? I mean, no. Well, Nathan, that, that same week, I had been working with a couple in the church, and they were going through a really, really messy divorce, and uh, the husband had actually given me a death threat. Same week. Death threat. 
You see, there's one little important detail I sort of left out. We didn't just teepee their house. How do you get to Illinois from here? You've got to drive through Missouri, right? And what 16-year-old boy driving through Missouri by himself doesn't stop to get fireworks? <laughs> I see you. <laughs> Which we, you know, of course, set off in their yard in the middle of the night and then sped away, right? I know, right? I'm a, I'm a horrible person, right? Happy Easter to you too. Fine, whatever. <laughs> So Nathan, when we, when we heard those explosions, we thought it was the end. The cops came. The fire department came. Picture me like an inch tall. And, the wife adds, I was pregnant. That's kind of how I felt in that moment, right? I mean, words cannot even begin to describe the terror instantly raged within me. I fear of what I, what I could have done in that moment, right? It was, it was terrible. I mean, God have mercy, right? I, I felt sick there at that lunch table. And then I looked over at their daughter, who had grown strangely attached to me over the couple of days we'd spent together. I thought that was a little interesting. The eight-year-old Now smiling coyly, she says to me, you decided my birthday. (laughs) I mean, how many times have you seen me blush, right? I mean, come on, seriously. This is terrible, right? I scared that baby right out of the womb, right? It's awful. And of course, of course you laugh and you, you would laugh, right? One of the most terrifying experiences of my entire life. But we only laugh because it ended well. Right? That's it. That's, that's it. And we all, we all know, don't we, what it's, what it's like to, to be afraid. And that conversation happened a decade ago, and still, thinking about it, it punches me in the gut with absolute fear. Fear of what I could have done. And fear is such a strange emotion, isn't it? I mean, fear can force a woman into labor. Fear can make a young man sitting at a casual lunch wish for his own death, right? And we all know what it's like to be afraid. And we all laugh at it. We love to laugh at fears, right? It's kind of, it's kind of one of our favorite things to laugh at, but only fears from a distance, right? Not, not the ones that are up close, not the ones that we feel acutely, because we know that fear can control us, fear can enslave us, fear can destroy us. Kids, it's easy for grown-ups to make light of your fears, isn't it? But you, you feel them, don't you? They're, they're, they're real, and there are times when my kids will come to me and they'll say, Daddy, do you and Mommy ever get afraid? Way more often than I'd ever want to admit. Fear of losing someone you love. Fear of being alone. Fear of seeing your child make the same mistakes you made, right? Son, no fireworks, please, right? Fear, fear of hearing bad news from the doctor. Say, say, well, you know, we should really get that checked out. Fear of disappointment, fear of loneliness, fear of failure, rejection, just messing it all up. And, and how's this, for example? 
I mean, can you imagine such a terrible crime in our own city? Just this past Sunday, right? International news in our own backyard as three people, three innocent people are gunned down simply out of hate. And what kind of world do we live in? Students at our, our Leewood campus knew the boy who was, who was murdered. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are, right? Jewish or not, Christian or not, whatever. You cannot hear a story like that and not feel heartache and outrage and fear. We all know what it's like to be afraid. And we're going to talk about our fears this morning. But before we do that, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are here today to celebrate your victory over death and sin and over all that is broken. And yet the world we live in still scares us and hurts us. God, we pray for these families that have been torn apart by senseless hate. Comfort them. Surround them with people who love them. And help us to believe that you will make it right. That this day, Resurrection Day, guarantees that you will make it right. Do it, Lord Jesus, we pray. And help us with our fears. More numerous than the people in this room, show us how resurrection is the death of fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fear on Easter? Really? But have you ever thought about how scary the Easter story really is? I mean, anybody here afraid of Easter? Yeah, probably not, right? Not unless you just really hate going to church, right? Somebody twisted your arm. Or, or, or maybe you suffer from laporophobia, which apparently is a thing. It's the fear of bunnies, right? Anybody? Right? Don't laugh. Somebody, they might, right? Somebody here. Fear on Easter, but the resurrection story, that's, that's a scary story. It really, it really is. Matthew, you see, he was an eyewitness uh, of these events. We heard some of his words just a moment ago. He was one of Jesus' first disciples, and, and he writes his experience down for us to read. Again, we heard some of it just a moment ago. And from the moment that Jesus dies, fear is everywhere. Even through his resurrection, it's all over the place. Everybody in this story is afraid. The soldiers are afraid. The religious leaders are afraid. His disciples are afraid. And what I think is so interesting is that the things that they're afraid of are the same things, the exact things that so often paralyze us, that that we deal with. Today, we gather to proclaim his resurrection. Absolutely, we do. And, And while our fears remain and our hurts continue, we're gonna see one thing loud and clear from Matthew's story. One thing that I, that I hope each of us can, can grab on to, to hold on to, to take home with us today. That resurrection is the death of fear. Resurrection is the death of fear. Well, how? I mean, how does this scary story, how is it the death of fear? Well, let's, let's take a look. First, the soldiers. And this is back in chapter 27. And so we've got to almost sort of step back, right, into Good Friday here for a moment. But as Jesus dies, right, as soon as it happens, there's an earthquake, Matthew tells us. That rocks are, are split in two. It's the middle of the day, but it's as dark as night as panic sort of sweeps across the city. As he dies, 
Matthew says, When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Ah, they finally understood who Jesus is. Good for them. Wait a second. I mean, put yourself there in that moment, right? And your job, you're right, you're the, you're the executioner, right? You thought your job was bad. Uh, but that's this person's role. And the person that you just killed. Hmm. I mean, I mean just think about that for a second. I mean, this, this is the guy that everybody's been talking about. You've heard all the rumors, right? Son of God, Messiah, Savior, whatever. But come on, please, right? Can't be true. Well, it did get a little bit eerie when everything got dark in the middle of the day. That was strange. And, you know, the moment sort of the sword into the side and the ground shaking, the rocks splitting and the widespread panic in the city, that seems, hmm. How are you feeling now? Oops. I mean, resurrection for these guys, this is not good news for them. I mean, seriously, what, what would they have thought? The person that I've just killed, to think about him coming back to life? I mean, I picture him sort of like the, the Terminator at that point, right? I'll be back, right? Sorry, that was awful, awful. <laughs> it's the third time I've done it today, but it's still awful. Every time, the accent does not improve. But, I mean, you get the point, right? That this is something, this is a terrible thing in their mind, that resurrection, if it is true, if Jesus is who he said is, this is bad news for them in their minds. Absolutely terrible news. And they have a lot to lose if Jesus raises from the dead. But it's not just them who's terrified. It's the religious leaders, too, right? In some ways, they're even more responsible for, for Jesus' death. I mean, the soldiers, right? They're afraid of what they've done. But the religious leaders, they're afraid of being found out. Jesus threatened their power, right? He threatened their way of life, and so they had him killed. And the next day, Saturday, Matthew tells us that they, they head over to Pilate. Pilate was the, the ruler of that area, the one sort of ultimately responsible in those, those moments. And they go, they go to him, these religious leaders, and they say to Pilate, Sir, we remember how that imposter, okay, talking about Jesus, how he said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. If they do that, the last fraud will be worse than the first. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard and when his body was gone anyway, they panic. I mean, their worst fears are being realized here in this moment, right? And so they, if you skip on to the chapter 28, they, they bribe the guards, it says. They, they tell the guards, they say, tell the, tell the people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Tell them that. And so they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. They're afraid of being found out. Jesus threatened everything about their corrupt way of life. And they will do anything they can to maintain their image, to hold on to their power, to all that they've accomplished right there in those moments, their, their reputation, whatever it was, they had a lot to lose if the resurrection was true. You know, if, if you're honest, Maybe some of you feel that way too. 
I mean, if you really think about it, right? If, if the resurrection was true, maybe you don't believe at this, at this point, but if the resurrection was true, you've got a lot to lose if it is. Because you, you know that, that that means, if that truth, if that actually happens, something, something about your life has to change. There's, a, there's a, different, a different level, a different kind of accountability. I mean, if someone was actually dead and then came back to life, that person could not be ignored. But Jesus is so much easier to ignore sometimes, isn't he? Maybe you feel like you've got a lot to lose. And these religious leaders, I mean, they'll do anything they can to explain it away. I mean, already, it's almost humorous, right? Already there's a conspiracy there starting to, to bubble up. You see, any attempt to explain away the resurrection has to explain what happened to the body. And we forget about that, right? But this is, that's just a simple little detail. But any attempt to explain away, you have to have at least some theory of, of why they couldn't just say, well, here's, here's the body. Matthew, right, he's, he shows us this. He's, he's writing just, you know, a little bit after these events happen. There are eyewitnesses of these events still alive when he's writing and yet, even then, three days after it happened, and they can't find the body. I mean, all they really had to do to squelch the rumors, they didn't even make up lies or rumors. All they had to do was show people the corpse, right? Well, why don't they? Well, I believe it's because there was no corpse. That, that he, he was no longer there. Circumstantial? Yeah, of course it's circumstantial, right? This happened 2,000 years ago. But how do you explain the empty tomb? His disciples took it. And that's the that's theory here, right? Really? His disciples? A bunch of uneducated fishermen hatch a Mission Impossible-style plan against soldiers in the Roman Empire? Really? And why would they take it? Not one of them expected Jesus to actually come back to life. None of them did. They, they had no category for somebody to just, like, be alive again. None. Just like us, right? People, dead people stay dead. They knew that. They didn't have any category for this. And besides, everything their now dead master had told them, had taught them, was about honesty and humility and self-sacrifice and the relinquishing of power. How does mass deception fit into that plan? Not to mention the fact that all four of the Gospels show the disciples, to be a bunch of weak-willed cowards all the way through. And then all of a sudden on Sunday, something changes. All of a sudden, the, these people who fled, right, the scene, they, who are hiding behind locked doors on Saturday, all of a sudden they go out and they're willing to actually die for this Jesus. And most of them, history tells us, most of them actually do. I mean, who of us here would, would be killed, would die for something we knew to be a lie? It just doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't, it doesn't add up. The tomb was empty. And the religious leaders are scrambling. They are afraid of being found out. And who can blame them? But perhaps most afraid of all are his followers. I mean, you ever wonder what Saturday was like for his friends? I thought about that some yesterday, right? That would be a really long day. I mean, they'd given up everything, everything that they believed in. All we know is that they stayed behind locked doors, right? That's really all it tells us about what they did on Saturday. And I mean, they could only assume they were next, right? Jesus was executed by the brutal Roman Empire for being an insurrectionist. Of course they were next. They had every reason to believe that they were going to be gone soon. And they cowered. 
everything they believed, everything they'd hoped for, everything they'd given up for a dead Messiah. Their security is gone, the relationship, their, their purpose, their identity, it's all gone. And they were afraid it was all just for nothing. Saturday had to be the longest day. What's the women who were there first? Sunday morning, still grieving. I mean, I just even love that detail about the story, right? I don't know if the men were still too, too afraid to show their face. Maybe, maybe the women wouldn't be as likely to be accused. I don't know, but they are the first ones there. And even just, just think about that for a moment, okay? Women in that society, they were so devalued, okay? 2,000 years, so devalued that they couldn't even testify in a court of law. They couldn't be trusted. If you were to invent a story of resurrection, if you wanted to make up a religion based on this guy who was dead coming back to life, why would you pick women in that culture to be the first eyewitnesses? It doesn't make sense, does it? But, but there they are. They go into the garden and they see an angel. And this angel, he's, he's so terrifying that the guards, the professional soldiers, faint when they see him. And so the angel says to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. For he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear. Right? Still afraid. With fear and great joy. And ran to the disciples. And behold... Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet. They grabbed onto him, right? He's not a ghost. They grab him, and they worshiped him. They, they believed that he was God, that something amazing happened, and Jesus accepts their worship. And then Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Do you see all the fear in this story? I mean, we tend to see pastel colors, right, and Cadbury eggs, but that's, that's not the story that's told. I mean, even if you like something like The Walking Dead, nobody wants to be caught in a situation like that. Dead people stay dead. Anything else terrifies us. This is a scary story. But if it is true, if it actually happened, scary or not, then resurrection is the death of all fear. For, for if, if we believe, even our three, three biggest fears, the fears that they all struggle with, those fears lose their power. Fear of what we've done, fear of being found out, and fear that it's all just for nothing. It's all right here. Take, take a look. Fear of what we've done. I mean, just, just like the soldiers, right? I mean, Maybe we're not as bad as that or as hardened as them, but we all have things that we are ashamed of. And I think deep down, we all know that we're going to be held accountable. I mean, even if you don't believe a word of this, right? We all live as if our life has meaning, as if it matters what choices we make. We live as if there's right and wrong, and, and maybe you have your own sort of code of what right and wrong is, but you still feel guilty when you break it, don't you? I mean, people who don't feel guilt are sociopaths. That's what our society calls them. We all feel regret. At our Good Friday services, for example, we took several minutes pausing there in, in the moment, and 
Everybody had a chance if they wanted to, to, to write out uh, their sins or what they're ashamed of or dealing with, battling, all, any of that, uh, and then to come up and, and nail it to um, this cross here. Um, and this is, this is the pile here. It's all, it all anonymous. Um, it is a powerful moment in that service, honestly. E- even for me, I've, I've never been a part of anything like that, so it's kind of a first. And I think the thing that struck me most was how long it took and how loud it was. Just the continual pounding. Being reminded that these, these are the things that put Jesus there. These are the things that he takes, that he willingly suffered on our behalf. And it's, I mean, all, you know, pretty normal stuff, right? I mean, normal as far as, for all of us, lack of faith, trust, gossip, selfishness, lust, disobedience to my parents. I mean, on and on. And to believe, as we, as we saw those all hanging on the cross, and to believe that Jesus actually literally died for those things. But he didn't just die for them. He came back to life to prove, right, that, that those things are gone. Those things no longer hold their power on us. Nailed to the cross for our forgiveness. For God's Son died in our place and rose again. I, I love how Johnny Cash puts it. Maybe not the ideal theologian all the time, but... Um, Nonetheless, good songwriter back in the day. Um, He says, if you've lost all your hope, if you've lost all your faith, I know you can be cared for and I know you can be safe. And all the shamefuls and all of the whores and even the soldier who pierced the side of the Lord. Resurrection is the death of fear. So what are you afraid of? Because resurrection means not only that Jesus forgives these things, but we, we as Christians, we believe that, that forgiveness, yes, that's really important, but it's that Jesus actually promises to make them right. I mean, to, to reconcile the people that we've alienated, to, to make right the things that we have broken, to make whole the things that we've wounded, to make beautiful the things that we've made ugly, to redeem the things that we have lost. That's part of what the gospel tells us, that, and the resurrection promises that he will make it right. We don't necessarily know what that's going to look like that he will make it right. And if you're, if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. And, and I know there, there are plenty of reasons not to believe these things. I, I, I totally get that. Um, but do you see that you, you're choosing a life of fear over a life of hope? And really, I, th- I think you're always going to be afraid. Because in, in a world like ours, as, as dark and painful as it sometimes is, we, we feel it so deeply. Fear is just inevitable. So why not try Jesus? I mean, I know that that describes many of you, right? I've, I've heard some of, your, some of your stories. You came because simply you just, wanted to, you just wanted to try it. You just wanted to see what it was about. And you're here, and you've given your life to him, and you're growing, and you're seeing that, yes, maybe... Maybe he actually is worth it. Could that be true for you? To, to actually make that step of, of belief, to, to turn away from your sins. I mean, if, if, if you're honest, those things disappoint you way more than they satisfy you, don't they? I mean, my sins do. They, they always leave me wanting more, feeling empty. Try Jesus and just see what he does. And if you, if you are a Christian, do you believe that you're forgiven? Do you believe that he can heal, reconcile, redeem, make beautiful even your most horrible regrets? 
everything that we've ever done, that he can restore us, that he can show us his love. And I mean, what, what would it look like in this area? What would it look like for you to live without fear? I mean, fear of what we've done, that's, that's a big deal. I, I think it probably grabs at, at all of us. I know, I know it hits me, but that's not, that's not our only fear, right? It's, we're, we're released from that fear, but we're also released from our fear of being found out. That's the second one here. That's kind of the religious leader's deal. I mean, if only they had seen that. If only they'd stopped running, hiding, scrambling. I mean, if only we'd stop running, hiding, scrambling. Because who's not afraid of being found out? Really? I'm afraid. I mean, truthfully, as, as your pastor, I mean, I, I, try to, I try to be transparent, right? I try to let you see who I am and how I struggle and how hopefully, right, I'm learning to trust and to grow and to, to be changed and all of those things. But every time I do that, it scares me. I mean that. Every, every time I let you look inside of here, I'm always afraid that you're going to see just a little too much. That you're, you're going to find out a little bit too much of who I am because I, I know it's here. I know my arrogance and my insecurity. I know the idolatry, my, the anger, how selfish I can be. I'm afraid of being found out. I mean, sometimes I feel like um, George Costanza Sorry. I, Seinfeld, right? I know it's a little dated by now. Um, but George, right? This, this character on Seinfeld. Something that I feel like, and there's this one episode in particular where a friend comes to him and confesses. He says, George, I've been living a lie. And George responds back, just one? I've been living like 20, right? I mean, I feel that way sometimes. Does anybody else sometimes feel that way? That all we do is hide. We hide from each other, we hide from God, we hide from ourselves, right? We don't even want to to take a moment to look within to see how messed up, how broken, how needy and desperate we are for someone to rescue us. And yet, if resurrection is real, that fear is also dead because through faith in him, we can be loved and accepted by the God who made us. So what are we so afraid of? I mean, really... I don't need to save face or maintain power or keep my image. I don't, I don't need everybody to, to like me. And I don't need to live a lie. Because Jesus, he already sees it all, and he actually loves me anyway. And it's only then, only when we begin to grasp onto this truth that we can actually begin to change, actually begin to become the people that we were always meant to be from the first place. I mean, we all... We all long to be known and loved, don't we? I mean, I think, I think we want that probably more than just about anything, to be truly known and truly loved. But if you think about it, to be, to be loved and, and not known, that's just superficial. It's trite. It's empty. And yet to be known and not loved, it's terrifying. I mean, I mean truly, that's, that's got to be one of our deepest fears, one of my deepest fears. And yet here, because of what Jesus has done, we are beautifully offered both. Someone who knows us, and yet continues to love us. And this frees us to love him and to love others like nothing else. I mean, you don't, you don't have to always get your way in your marriage. You don't, you don't have to have the perfect kids or the perfect job. You don't, have to be, you don't have to be successful. You don't have to have all the things together, right? You don't have to drive the nicest car. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You've already been found out. And yet because of Jesus, if you trust him, he loves you anyway. 
yeah, okay, I get it, I get it, but what, but what now? Because maybe if, if you're not a Christian, maybe, maybe you think this whole church thing, it's just sort of, it seems kind of silly, right? We gather every Sunday, we sing a few songs, listen to somebody talk for probably longer than he should, and, you know, move on, right? It feels ancient, outdated, so what's, what's the point? Maybe you can see the forgiveness and acceptance, like that part's cool, but really, what, what are we doing here? Well, the reality is we all wrestle with that, right? Christian or not. I mean, just like those first century followers huddled behind locked doors, we're all afraid that maybe, just maybe, it's all for nothing, aren't we? I mean, I mean truly, I, I am afraid that I will get to the end of my life. I'm not making this up. That I'll get to the end and just think, eh, that's it? All, all that I've done, all that I've given up or, or taken, all that I've not done or should have done, looking back, well, well, I just wonder if it was all worth it. Well, I just, well, I wonder if there was anything meaningful in it. It's a happy thought for Easter, right? But it's a fear. His followers gave up everything, and now he's dead. And then he's standing in front of them. And four times in this chapter, Jesus or, or the angel, all of them, tell them to go, to do something, to carry out his mission of love and redemption in the world, to have a purpose. And that's, that's, that's why we gather, right? We don't want to be a social club. We don't want a place to just sort of feel good about ourselves or to hang out. We want to be a group of people who love one another unlike anyone else, right? Because this is what the gospel does. It enables us to love people who are even different from us, who don't like us, to, to give of ourselves to others in ways to, to care for the poor and the needy and the oppressed all across our city and our world. The gospel enables us to do that. And we are, we are given this purpose. And not just purpose for today, because if, if Jesus really was resurrected, then that means maybe, just maybe, that we can be resurrected. And if we can be resurrected, that means that our lives don't just matter for now, they matter forever. What you do, how you live, the choices you make, the way you spend your money, how you work, how you study, how you play, what your hobbies are, all of it now matters. Which on the one hand is also terrifying, right? That's a, that's a lot of weight to think that the things, every single choice I make matters, not just for now, it matters forever. It's a heavy weight. And yet at the same time, it's, it's exactly what we crave, isn't it? I mean, every one of us, that's how, that's how we live. We all live as if our lives matter. Is that because we're just a collection of atoms sort of randomly put together and that we're just dust, headed to dust, that there, there is no right and wrong. Nobody actually lives like that. We all live as if our, our lives count. But this, this explains that, that, that we were meant to live for something better and that we were meant to live forever with this God who loves us, if it does matter. And we all live as if it does are you showing it in the way that you love this God and seek him? Now, I know that was a pretty ridiculous story at the start. Um, we all laugh, right? Me forcing a woman into, into labor. I'm sure for some of you is the proudest moment we've ever had of your pastor uh, 20 minutes ago, right? And we all laugh. I mean, it's most, one of the most terrifying moments of, of my life, truly. And we can laugh at it now. And and here is one of the most incredible miracles of the resurrection. That that's exactly what Jesus is going to do with all of our fears. Every one of them. The deepest, darkest, most painful, the thing that keeps you awake at night, 
the thing that you just you cannot possibly shake that, that makes you feel sick to your stomach. And it's not, it's not a matter of making light of those fears. Those fears are real, and they hurt us, and they, they drive us crazy sometimes. They, they're painful, and yet, if we trust in him, we are moving to a day when we will be able to look back at the things that caused us terrible fear, and we will be able to laugh again, to rejoice in the presence of the God who made us. So what are you afraid of, really? You're afraid of a whole lot of things, right? If your heart is still beating. Of course we're afraid. This life, this world is scary. But the cure has begun. In me, in you, if you trust him, and in our world. For resurrection is the death of fear.